The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Burning Man Project. Common side effects include moderate to severe confusion, partial enlightenment, utopianism, surrealism, situationism, and wild-eyed enthusiasm. If you have frequent thoughts of a transformative nature, you should continue listening immediately. Ask your life coach if you are spiritually healthy enough for this podcast. This is the podcast of the Burning Man Philosophical Center. I'm Caveat. UCLA anthropologist Megan Heller has studied play, writing on everything from heckling to children's games, and of course Burning Man. When we asked her about Burning Man's theme for 2017, Radical Ritual, she came back at us with a challenging idea, that ritual and play are both sides of the same coin, and that together with art, they are all kinds of metacognition. And if we think they work very well together to help inspire and guide and connect us with something powerful and healing to the psyche, that's because they do. We talk with Megan Heller discussing ritual, play, education, art, and health, and get closer to a sense of why ritual and play are essential elements of human nature. Stay with us. And 
that's unfortunate because the creative aspects of art, the um, significance of things we call ritual, and the um, freedom or learning that can take place in playgrounds, um, those things get so separated out that they can't build on each other. Right. So the fact that we get to do them all at the same time in whatever combination we want to, I think makes learning man a more powerful experience, but it also makes it that much more confusing from the outside <laughs> to people who want to stick it in a category and know it as this or that. So I think we see attempts to communicate what Burning Man is to outsiders by saying, oh, no, no, it's not just this, it's that. As opposed to emphasizing, oh, it's all of these things at once, and that's what makes it that much more powerful and interesting. Because hmm. we don't have to distinguish between those things while we're there. Right. Um, so the effect of meta-action, the power of meta-action, the... Um, working in the realm of sort of ideas and symbols is, is ramped up in a way. Because play is actually not well regarded. Right. Right? We feel elevated by talking about ritual and we feel less than when we talk about learning man as play. It's sort of, we, I think we all feel a need to say it's more than a party. It's more than a festival. Because I think we buy into the notion that adult play is not that important. My research and my position really has been, why don't we think of play? And in the same way we think of children's play, why don't we think of adult playing as this amazing opportunity for learning and growth and becoming and coming together? I mean, if you look in the field of education and... Um, and like research on, on child development, everybody says all these great things about play. Mm-hmm. But the things that we read about adult forms of play are, are never, um, that, oh, this is a great way for people to learn and grow and develop. This is a great tool for advancing adult learning. It's thought of as this place of danger and risk and oh please don't take that too far and it's okay if you're becoming a professional but if you're not succeeding in that realm or you're wasting a lot of your time in that realm you better tone it down mm-hmm. um, and I, I think that's probably because adult play is the spirit of and you know we'd like to think that people grow up and then that they're done growing and they don't really need to do any more learning because they've got all the social skills they need, but in, a, in, a, in this day and age, or I don't know if it was ever true, people do need to keep being flexible, and that's actually a wonderful aspect of humans, um, mm-hmm. unlike other species that stop playing in adulthood. Most species stop playing in adulthood. Very few continue to play. Um, and I think it's harder to play in adulthood, um, but it's still possible. And that speaks to the fact that humans need to keep, continue to learn and adjust and adapt and grow 
you do that is, is, is through ritual. Um, so whether or not we use this distinction, um, rituals can be very powerful ways of transforming people really quickly. And I was looking up, um, I was reading today about a theory from Anthony Wallace, an anthropologist who wrote about ritual learning. And for him, this refers to a special kind of learning that happens in some kinds of rituals where experience is rapidly reorganized under rather stressful conditions that result in big changes in cognition and emotion and learning. So that can happen through like rites of passage that are really um, induce a lot of stress and risk and force the person to change their behavior, to change their identity or reorganize their understanding of the world. I mean, it can happen in scary ways, too, um, through, like, thought reform methods of um, manipulating people. Um, and, and so I think those things are happening at Burning Man through all these different forms of meta-action um, that create a stressful situation mm-hmm. where... <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of symbols and a lot of um, images and and these are very evocative images that create an emotional reaction in people. And so sort of all the things that are possible in a culture, all the different ways that culture can act on a person are kind of happening really, really quickly in the burning and context. So things are getting represented new sort of cultural entities are getting constructed, like new camps and cities and communities and new families all of a sudden are happening and relationships. And then there's this sort of emphasis to do something, to participate, to act, to be present. And so so much is happening at once that this new cultural meaning system is sort of being thrust upon you, even if it's one you're familiar with because you go back every year. Mm-hmm. Um, it's being reinforced or it's being um, remind, a reminder. Oh, we're back in it again. <laughs> There's the dust. There's the, the difficulties. Right. In, in many respects, play is sort of a fountain of youth for our humanity. Um, that uh, that no, our our personalities are never are never done. There's this idea that we have that you know at some point we we reach a certain age, whether it's our teenage years or early twenties or what have you, and you know we're 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 finished. We're like a we're like you know bread. We've risen. We're done. It's over. Um, but that it's not, and you know we're we're always developing our personalities in some way, and that that play sort of facilitates that process. That it uh, it makes us more human in that sense. I don't know. Those are both the things that I'm I'm thinking as as, as I'm listening to this. Yeah, I I definitely think there's um, a lot of power in the mindset that people get into sometimes when they're playing, which creates a sense of larger possibility. I, I mean, I gravitate towards more positive emotional experiences in play. I mean, some people are interested in, like, watching scary movies or 
going out at night and having more like sinister ideas curling in their being. Mm-hmm. But definitely, I kind of gravitate towards the more kind of happy daytime play. So, um, so I think a lot about positive emotions and the role of positive emotions that researchers who study positive emotions, which by the way, is a rel- still relatively new field because there was a lot of money to study fear and anger and violent <laughs> emotions. And it's only really more recently that we're learning about what positive emotions do. And one of the theories by Barbara Fredrickson is that it broadens and builds our thought action repertoire. So I think that that's an interesting aspect of play that it can, even under stress, conditions, it can, if you're having these positive emotions and you're able to respond to stimuli in a positive way, even very stimuli, if that's sort of your thing, um, I think it, it ends up broadening your ability to to know what's possible and to act with a wider flexibility. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, for me, that, that's health and that's healthy development and that's a good learning environment is when you're broadening your skill set and broadening your maps of what's out there and possible. But certainly, um, there's something to be said for, you know, a more straight and narrow path in life. And I'm not sure that the reasons that I think having more options and having a broader view are useful even because in this particular historical period and culture and time and place being really innovative and um, open to possibilities is what's valued or needed in our current you know mm-hmm. world um, that, that means though that some people will take risks that don't lead to good places Right. Right. So there is there is danger, right? There is danger in sort of taking a whole bunch of people and broadening and building their possibilities because some people may wander down a path and that possibility wasn't very good. They maybe should have stuck with their day job <laughs> and their right. you know, uh, law, law degree path and not opted for something more. Well, there's... Uh, yeah, there's there's a sense. This one of my favorite things to say about Burning Man is that it's not benign, and I think that's that's very much what yeah. what you're getting at. That there's the the yeah. risks the risks are real, the stakes are real. Yeah. However, however yeah. good it, or not it may feel, what's happening has genuine consequences, good or bad, and that's part of what yeah. makes it so powerful. Yeah, I think that's true, and I I think that that's something that I'm trying to balance in my selections of sort of things that I've been focusing on. And it's pretty radical. It's pretty, um, it's pretty shameless. And, and my, originally I started talking about play and positive emotions, but recently I've come to learn a lot about the role of shame in society mm-hmm. and the sort of trajectory of shame. So <laughs> I wanted to focus on positive emotions and I ended up talking more recently about negative emotions and reading about them. Because I think that, for me, the sort of flip side of play is shame. 
Mm-hmm. What what are people with their rituals, with their playful rituals, or their search for a place where they can kind of get under the thumb of, out from under the thumb of society? I think that what they're working around is issues related to shame mm. and what causes shame in the default world. Um, often has to do, I think, with the with the um, let, me, let me back up a little. So I've been reading about the history of shame. So shame kind of spread out over history to be something that was, um, so there's what called the civilizing process. It's about um, what happened in Europe over time, as you could say, civilization took hold in every level of society. You can imagine the most civilized people were the royal ruling class, right? They were the, they had the most like rules about how you're supposed to act and how you're supposed to dress, and they had the highest sort of um, threshold, lowest threshold for shame, mm-hmm. for experiencing shame, and the biggest consequences if they didn't follow the rules of their society. And what the history seems to show is that those those rules spread to more and more classes of people. So everybody is trying to follow this sort of pinnacle of civilization. And at the same time that the shame is actually spreading, people's awareness of shame is decreasing. So they actually had more experiences of shame and less awareness and ability to talk about it. Huh. So we get to this point in history where recently we don't even think we really have shame. Like if you ask people, I like shame, I don't never I never think about shame, like that's shame, like I don't even know. And People talk about like, oh, other societies are very shame based. We have guilt, but we don't have shame. Somehow no, <laughs> we have guilt about specific actions that we we do, but we don't have shame about who we are. Mm-hmm. But actually, it turns out we have a lot of shame. We just don't talk about it. We just don't have like ways of articulating it. Very mm, well. That makes sense. Yeah. And so it's there. It's just not talked about. And I think one of the things that happens at Burning Man is that. Being given permission to play, and especially to play in public, and to not worry about whether or not people might think that you are drunk or crazy or dangerous, um, people really do have a sort of lessening, at least, of this feeling of being ashamed of themselves as a person with, like, a body and sexual interests and desires and bad artistic expressions (laughs) (laughs) like not very skillful yet at you know expressing themselves or painting or Mm -hmm. maybe art yet you know it's like all the things that we want to do we just do out there and we don't have to worry as much about feeling bad about not executing it properly Mm -hmm. and that's the normal 
know, sort of thing when you give children permission to play, right, is that you, you don't shame them, right? You say, oh, yeah, good job. <laughs> nice try. Okay. And what I think is really exciting about play and ritual and art is when you have a whole bunch of different options, you can choose the one that really works for you. Mm-hmm. So if somebody comes to Burning Man and they can kind of overlook the things that they don't love about it, but just see it as a place where there's a whole bunch of things you can try really easily without uh, paying another ticket to try that thing, um, you might find something, you know, a workshop, um, a sculpture, a performance, a person that brings out some part of yourself that you didn't really know from there. And and I think that that kind of opportunity is really lacking in some context and some communities. Um, and I'd love to see that aspect of Burning Man spread where, it's, uh, where we recognize, like, it doesn't have to be Burning Man, but what about creating spaces fewer obstacles to trying new things. Um, and there's this project in Los Angeles that I think is going to happen um, at a at a train station in Compton where um, there's going to be, it's kind of like a, a mental health garden and good food and like all these things are going to kind of all be in one place with transportation, right? Mm-hmm. And low or no cost. And I just think that that to me is Burning Man, is to like provide access to a whole bunch of options that hopefully contribute towards wellness. Hopefully not feeding our addiction, but feeding our need to mm-hmm. grow or try something new or do something differently than we've been doing it before if it's not working for us. Right. And then also just do it around people, you know, and have an opportunity to meet new people and connect to people that we feel connected, that we could feel connected to. And to me, that's like, I think of it as a play and ritual and art smorgasbord. <laughs> it's all there. <laughs> right. Right. It also strikes me something that you you had mentioned earlier that we we may have an exceptionally potent combination here because a ritual creates an environment that makes it easy to teach in very intense ways you get the this this powerful ability to provide um compacted lessons to 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 offer people in intense ways and play opens up one's ability to learn and and engage and process that that you may we may actually have when you combine those two a a very potent means of uh, of getting not only think people to recognize new things but to experience them and process them and engage with them yeah yeah i mean i think one of the things that we should say about ritual is the power to kind of create your own rituals is really important because it cultures don't always have specific thing for our little idiosyncratic journey. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I have a friend who was in the process of becoming a woman, and she created a ritual for that, for herself, at Burning Man. And to be able to 
do that in a place where people understand and are sensitive to what was going on for that person, I think is really powerful for her, probably for the people watching as well, and being supportive of it. Of course, tons of people getting married at Burning Man um, and creating rituals that are very personally meaningful but don't necessarily have to fit the mold of what's expected in some kind of context, cultural context that already has those things spelled out for you. And I think that's also the sort of intertwining of play and ritual Mm. and art that we don't have to to be that serious about our rituals. We don't have to be that... um, and that we can take play really seriously you know, as a an important thing, and not just and you and you can play. and you can and you can fit it to where the cultural gaps are, in a sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To where the cultural gaps. And I personally feel like I have always felt somewhat on the margins of the culture for whatever reason, because my views were too this or that, or my experience was too different from other people that was going on. Um, and I I feel like when I came to Burning Man, I thought, oh, I'm really glad that I was born when I was born, so I got to be here for this. You've been listening to anthropologist Megan Heller discuss ritual and play in Burning Man and in our lives. I'm Caveat, and this has been a podcast of the Burning Man Philosophical Center, a format which we produce irregularly and unscientifically. You can learn more about the Philosophical Center at Burning Man's website, burningman.org, and feedback can be sent to caveat at burningman.org. Thanks for listening, and until next time, welcome home.